The Lord be with you. Our reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus was led, into the, led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. The tempter approached and said to him, You are the Son of God. Command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said in reply, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourselves down, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him up a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their magnificence. And he said to, them, said to him, All these I shall give to you if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. At this, Jesus said to him, Get away, sit, Satan. It is written, The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Today we start uh, the Lenten uh, Sunday series. So um, the the church has um, readings that are for each weekend out of the year. And they go on different cycles. Uh, We actually have three different cycles. So over a three-year period, then it starts to repeat yourself, which is why I'm leaving after three years, because you don't want to keep on hearing me. Um, But uh, it's a three-year cycle and A, B, and C. Uh, during the ordinary time, which we just finished, the first, actually throughout the, all of the seasons, the first reading and the gospel are always connected. And so those are always intentionally put together to be able to be connected for something that the church would like us to learn and to hear about, salvation history, the connection between Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, during ordinary time, the second reading, the epistle, is written, and that goes through, that's not always connected to the first and second reading. It's actually its own kind of insert in there, and it, it follows from week to week, going and following itself. And so we read through one of the epistles, right? We read through uh, one of them over time, and sometimes they connect well, sometimes they don't. Uh, often it's talking about God, so it does connect in some way. During Lent, the first epistle and the gospel are always linked together. And so those are intentionally chosen. The epistle kind of jumps around, just like the Old Testament and the gospel kind of jump around during the Lenten season to try to communicate something to you each week. This week, I think, uh, you know, there's many different things. There's a thousand, if not a million different homilies that could be preached on these readings itself. And in fact, there are probably millions of readings preached this weekend, right? Uh, just in the differences uh, in each one. But I think, you know, the things that stick out to me uh, really in this one is Satan, sin, and salvation. 
Satan. Satan shows up in both the first reading and, and the gospel. And he comes by different names, right? Lucifer, the devil, Satan, the, the accuser, the tempter. And we have to acknowledge that Satan is a real person. He's a real person. He's not just some idea, but is a real person in this world that is seeking the destruction of you and me. We hear that Satan is one of the most cunning of God's creation. He wasn't created cunning. Um, He was created as one of the greatest angels of all. But he rebelled against God, and in that he was cast down to the world. And in his rebellion, he seeks to destroy us. Um, he's real and he's still active today, even though he's not active in maybe some of the, you know, Hollywood movies and stuff. You know, that doesn't quite get at what Satan is. Um, Satan would much prefer to work in the background and not be seen, which is very telling then when we get the scripture and he's right on the front page, right? He's right there. It's clear what he's doing, and what he's trying to do, right? He, I think, works most especially in America today in the background, right? In the background, creating a world and a culture that takes us away from God so that he himself does not have to get his hands kind of dirty or have to reveal himself. We see what kind of clear ways that he tries to do this in the first reading in the gospel, in the fact that he takes something that's true and good and beautiful and he twists it just a little bit, right? He just asks the question. He just tries to just ask it and just tries to twist it. And in that undermines what, what God has for us, right? In the, in the first reading from the story of creation, right, he takes something that's good, God created these two things and and told them not to eat from the tree of good and evil, not as an arbitrary thing to try to keep them away from being like him, but to try to keep them from death. And Satan asked the question, well, why would he do that? Right? What? Why would he do that? We can sometimes imagine that this is uh, the tree of good and evil is just uh, the knowledge of it, right? It's the knowledge of good and evil. Um, but the, Adam and Eve already have the knowledge of good and evil. They know that it's good not to eat from that tree, and it's evil to eat from that tree, right? They have the knowledge, the head knowledge. What they don't have, because they haven't sinned, is they don't have that intimate knowledge of evil, because they haven't committed evil yet. But by taking from the fruit and committing evil, they then have that knowledge, right? That deep knowledge of evil. And it breaks the relationship, that sin of trusting a perceived good that Satan tempts them with and presents unto them, oh, God doesn't really have your good in mind, right? He just has this arbitrary thing for you to do to test you. He doesn't really desire your good. And by trusting Satan instead of God, it breaks our relationship, right? It breaks our relationship, and by that first sin, which we all participate in, in original sin, heaven is closed off for us, right? And we experience death and destruction in our lives. 
But from that very moment of that first fall, God, in his limitless love, uh, wanted to bring us back to him. He intervenes in salvation history and says that I don't want the final word to be sin. And it wasn't that he started to do something for us once we started to show kind of a potential or started to show, you know, some success. No, he chose us in our sin, right? And he intervened in his love and he set up an antidote for our fall, for our sin. And he sets up an antidote by the means of the coming of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who comes and reveals the truth of God for us and suffers and dies on our behalf to give us the grace to open up the gates of heaven and to be able to walk this journey of, of the world to ultimately be with God in heaven. Now, we can experience that as something that Jesus Christ did, and so we're good. But, as we know with all relationships, all things, is that there's an aspect that God can't reconcile, even though that God wants to give us forgiveness, He can't give us and reconcile us until we participate in that reconciliation as well. We need our participation in order to be able to make this whole thing work. God isn't going to force himself upon us because he's given us free will. Because we're not robots, right? And so we need to participate in it in order to be able to do that. And there's many different ways of participating. But Jesus and God, Jesus who is God, right? God wants, uh, gives us the perfect means to be able to do that which sometimes we participate well in and sometimes we don't. That perfect means, and there's no better plan or no better way of receiving heaven, of being able to participate in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to receive that grace and to be able to work it. There's no better way than here at Mass. The Mass is given to us for our salvation as an antidote for that sin that of our first parents and for our continued sin that we choose to participate in. He gives us a way to, to correct that, a way to participate in his life, death, and resurrection right here by the prayers, by the entire Mass, by the singing, by the, by the, the liturgy of the Eucharist, by the liturgy of the Word, by the liturgy of the Eucharist, by kneeling, by standing, by responding. All those things are participations in different ways. The Mass is the perfect prayer, and it's the perfect prayer because it's not an arbitrary way of worshiping God. It's not just a random way that's kind of thrown together and, well, maybe God kind of would want us to do this or want us to do that. The Mass is actually given to us, right? It's given to us in the Last Supper, right? Do this in remembrance of me. Okay, well, that's a command from God, so we're going to do it, right? And even though we don't understand it all right away, we're going to trust God. And there's a lot of temptations to be able to say, well, you know, well, there's other things to do. I don't quite, you know, it'd be better for me to do it this way or that way or go do that. 
But, but no, we, we trust God. We trust that he's given us the church to continue to communicate the truth that the Holy Spirit is working in the Catholic Church, even though that sin also operates within its members, and that Satan constantly wants to bring down the church and to bring down its members, we still believe that the Holy Spirit is working, and that has given us the mass to be able to participate in that very life, death, and resurrection, that antidote. And it's interesting that the first sin would be distrust of God's good for us, and that it would be eating from the fruit of the tree, and the antidote would be trust and faith. Faith by coming here, trust that this is what God gives us, and that it would be eating, eating of the Eucharist. Right? The antidote is, is of the same uh, the same conditions that the first sin was brought about. That connection between the two. It makes sense that God would work in that way. Now, um, the Mass has many different parts. It's supposed to be a participation of heaven, and sometimes we participate better than others. But one of the things that keeps us from participating is not understanding what's going on, which the homily is supposed to be part of that, which is why I get super excited and go for super long is because I get super excited about this because I want you to be able to participate in this, right? Um, And I realize I can't do it all, which is why I'm going to encourage you to download, uh, to to access uh, formed.org. It's one of the things that the cluster that I've I've mentioned on a few occasions, formed, F-O-R-M-E-D.org. And it's a, it's a website that has thousands of resources for you to learn about many different things about God's truth for you. Uh, but also, one of the things that I'd like to promote specifically is the Catholic, there's a series of about 30 videos called Catholic Elements of the Mass. And the videos are about two to four minutes long, and it's talking about different aspects of the Mass. And I love it because it, it really dives deep into it and gives us a fuller understanding of it. And I would love to, you know, do all of those, but um, I, I also hope that you engage in participating and preparing for the Mass here outside of just showing up, right? Showing up is an important part, but also preparing for it, reading the readings before, learning more about the Mass, learning more about Catholicism. What does the Church teach, right? Some of those things are done outside of Mass as well, so that you might participate more fully here. So form.org, which you don't want to uh, start your own account. What you want to do is you want to log on and it, and it gives you three different options. And uh, the instructions are actually in the bulletin inside the front page. has instructions about how to log on. And you have to go through, I am a business or I am with a business or organization. And then you type in four parish cluster. Uh, four, yeah, four parish clusters. It's in the bulletin. tells you how to do it. And uh, then you log in and you get a free access to the all of these resources, okay? So use the free one, don't pay for it, okay? Um, Secondly, I'd like to point you to uh, my podcast, Superior Priest, uh, and my website, superiorpriest.com, which is also on the inside uh, to access. And then I I, uh, record myself, not to just see how long I go, uh, but also uh, to post on uh, on the podcast, which... um, this over this Lent, I'm talking more about the Mass. I'm only going to get two weekends here at Our Lady of Lourdes, uh, but I'm going to be posting, and and the homilies will be about the Mass. And so if you'd like to follow along uh, with that, uh, you can subscribe or just uh, check it out and to be able to listen, as well as there's other resources there about the Mass and other times that I've talked about it as well. 
Those are two opportunities. I'd like to just quickly dive in at the very end of one of the signs and symbols that we participate in the Mass that I think a lot of people don't really get. The Liturgy of the Word is the start, the first part of the Liturgy. And the Liturgy of the Word, kind of like I was talking about, is it talks or gives us a coherent uh, bulk work of Scripture for us to be able to meditate on, to be able to know. It's split up into three years, A, B, and C. And it's meant for us to be able to experience and to be able to hear salvation history, to hear about our fall, but God's love for us. And about how God's plan for us from the very beginning was to bring us back to himself in heaven, right? And the liturgy of the word is supposed to do that. And it's an antidote to the lies that we hear from the world that God doesn't love us, right? That we're not made for any purpose And it gives an antidote, just as Jesus did in the gospel today. He countered the twisting and the lies of Satan by the truth of Scripture. And we need to be formed in that truth of God so that we might be able to resist the temptations of Satan. And one of the most important parts of the liturgy of the word, which is different than the other parts of the liturgy of the word, is the gospel. The gospel, you notice, this is a gospel book, and it only has the readings from the gospel, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that a priest or a deacon read, right? It's only the priest or the deacon that during Mass read from the gospel because it's so incredibly important. So incredibly important because it's the life of Jesus Christ. It is the heart of all Scripture. And because of that, we make a big deal out of it. Right? As we process in, the reader holds the book of the gospel. Right? We don't do that with the lectionary, which has the other readings. We just carry the book of the gospel. And it's set on the altar to show that connection between the liturgy of the word, the word of God, and the liturgy of the Eucharist, which is the word of God taking flesh. Right? When the priest, the priest is instructed to read this, the priest is instructed uh, in one of my favorite things, um, which is to bow to the altar and to pray, cleanse my heart, my lips, almighty God, that I may worthily proclaim your holy gospel. I love that reflection every single time that I pray it because I reflect on the fact that actually the words of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel that I read first before the homily is more important than the homily that I give, right? I'm actually praying that I might be able to proclaim the gospel correctly, right? With a clean heart and lips. Not that I might do a good job in the homily, right? Even though that I, I, I do pray for that, right? Um, but, but the liturgy instructs us to pray for this more important than the homily, right? At the end of reading the gospel, the priest is instructed to kiss the gospel and to say and to pray through the words of the gospel, may our sins be wiped away. So the priest prays that silently. Through the words of the gospel, may our sins be wiped away. Wow. What power the word of God has that it might be able to wipe away our sins. This is how important this gospel is. That we listen and we hear the salvation, what God's plan for salvation for us, his love for us. Uh, The mass is given to us to participate 
in our salvation. We need it. I pray that you might also be able to continue to engage it, to understand it. And Mass is boring if we don't understand what it is. But I hope that you are able to learn some of the signs and symbols, some of the ways in which God wants you to be able to know of his love and for you to be able to participate in his plan for your life in a greater way.